everyone. This is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled Biblical Answers to Modern Issues. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40 today. And as usual, I'm here with my buddy, my pal, my pastor, Mr. Chad Wiles. Chad, how you doing, bud? Doing good, man. Having a, a good morning so far. Yeah. We're getting after it. We're getting after it. We're ready. <laughs> well, we're going to be finishing up this section that's really spanned two chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians today uh, that started back in chapter 12, verse 1, and is going to end today in chapter 14, verse 40. And this entire section has been on orderly worship within the church. Now, most of our conversation, as Paul's conversation, has really been based and centered around this idea of spiritual gifts. What are the true Holy Spirit uh, given gifts and what are the counterfeit gifts? Mm. Because you'll remember, listener, that the Corinthian letter is a letter of correction. And the reason why it's a letter of correction is because there was a lot that needed to be corrected in the church. Yeah. Why was that? Well, the first chapter told us that there were divisions that existed in this church, uh, particularly divisions between those who are a little bit more wealthy, of higher social status, who had more means, um, and division between them and those who were the opposite of that, a little bit lower on the social totem pole, less means. And so unfortunately, that, that rift was deepening and widening. And so Paul had to write a letter in his apostolic authority, uh, meaning one who represents the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, And he had to write a letter to correct these issues. Um, And he makes so many appeals throughout the letter that we're not going to go over all of them. But just understand this, that the one common thread that we're going to see explicitly today that runs through the entirety of this letter is the thread of pride. Yeah. I think it's important to understand how sin and pride creates chaos. Right? There was a... Uh, melting pot of um, disorder within the Corinthian church. You already mentioned uh, one uh, reason, the class differentiation, but there was also syncretism and there was other pagan Mm -hmm. worship that was being brought into it. There was also this division. Some were following Apollo, some were following Paul, some were saying this, some were saying, you know, there was just, there was not just one problem. (laughs) There was was problems, you know, but Sin does create disorder. We say it all the time. Um, I say it to my interns all the time and uh, those that I counsel that sin creates chaos and God is a God of clarity and order and simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, not simplistic in himself, but he makes his He makes His commands plain. Yeah. Like he puts everything into order. When we do it God's way, things just tend to work yeah. best. Yeah. Right? Um, but our confusion comes from our own sin, mm-hmm. right? And um, the Corinthian church was facing a lot of that there. Yeah. Um, the other sins of their old lives, the the pagan uh, worship, the class systems, the everything was just being brought into the church and causing a, a ton of disorder. Yeah. I'll just read chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, because I think it'll really paint a picture for us uh, as to what some of these individuals in the Corinthian church were really desiring. And it's implicit in what Paul says here. Here's what he says, starting at verse 26 of chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Mm -hmm. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
So I'll take a minute just to stop mm-hmm. there to reiterate that. Wisdom, uh, might or power, mm-hmm. and elite status or nobility, those are the three categories that Paul specifically mentions because those are the three categories that really these individuals were trying to, I mean, not trying to, they were idolizing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that's exactly what the world goes after. You yeah. know, I want to be wise. I want to be thought of uh, as a wise person in the eyes of other people. I want to be the yeah. financial guru or I want to be the CEO or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then even with power, like that could be physical strength in the Greek word or it could just mean like you have a lot of controlling power, yeah, right? authority over people. And so, yeah, people definitely want power, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. And then being of noble birth, I mean, we see that glorified through social media today. It's like Kim Kardashian is a perfect example. Mm. I'm not hating on her as an individual. I'm just saying she's a socialite. Like, what? what is that? What is that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, what do you actually do? Or uh, how did you actually get that title, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the things that the world goes after. And there's many other things that the world goes after. But mm-hmm. these are the three that Paul chooses under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to point out in the Corinthian church. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, but, what a great conjunction, right? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Like, what a powerful statement. God, the Almighty, right, is going to deliberately choose those who are not wise in Mm -hmm. in the world's eyes, those who are not powerful in the world's eyes, and those who, like, are non-existent in the Mm -hmm. world's eyes to accomplish his own plan, which then leads to his glory. Right. And we know true wisdom comes from the Lord. And so this word wise here is even one of uh, sort of sarcastic in terms of wisdom of the world. Right. Because it's true that you can be wise in the world's eyes. Certainly. Um, You can follow a bunch of self-help books and different things, and you can learn to function in this world in Mm -hmm. the way that this world functions. But remember, the one who controls this world, um, Satan, sin. And so you don't want to be an expert in sin. You don't want to be an expert in the ways that this world operates because it's not of God's kingdom. It's yeah. not of God's world. And I love how you just said that, Chad, because it segues nicely into our discussion today. What you just said, Chad, is literally like what Paul says in verse 20. And we went over this last week. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Mm-hmm. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Implication? Right. They were mature in evil, which is obvious from the letter. Yeah. And they were infants in their thinking. Right. Right. They were the opposite. They were doing Mm -hmm. very well in the world's eyes. Mm -hmm. Many of the people in the church, not all of them, but many Mm -hmm. of them were. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You are children of God. That's not how we should be characterized. Yeah, your new creation is his fourth letter. We have it as the second letter, but it really was the fourth. Right. In 2 Corinthians 5, where he talks about that idea that we're now ambassadors for Christ. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like, don't cling to this world. You're a brand new creation in Christ, right? Yeah. That same idea of be wise in the Lord, fear the Lord, know what he has to say, operate on his terms, which will make you um, opposite of the world. Mm -hmm. It will make you different than the way the world operates, right? Yeah. But it's good, and it's pure, and it's holy. And so 
that's what Paul's trying to get at in our passage today is this idea. He's trying to clean up everything, and here he's trying to clean up their order in their times of worship together. Yeah. Even. Because in their quest for wisdom in the world's eyes, in yeah. their quest for power and status, man, they were like claiming these spiritual gifts as like some sort of um, status valuation, yeah. right? Like, oh, look what I can speak in tongues, right? And I can do this yeah. and I can do that. And look at me, I'm, I'm so much holier than thou. Right. Actually reminds me of chapter seven when some of the people were saying, well, look, I just got saved and I divorced my wife because you know celibacy and being single is the holy way to go, right? right. Paul's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, let each person stay in the same state that he was when he was called is what he says. Like, yeah. Just because you get married doesn't give you an, uh, an excuse to now divorce your your partner. You know what right. I mean? Like, what? Not to so, mention God is the one who designed marriage in the first place. That's right. And so so they had a disorderly worship session mm-hmm. because, as we're going to see today, each person had a tongue, had a right. had a revelation, et cetera, et cetera. But and, as we talked about, sorry to interrupt you, but as we talked about in previous podcasts, it's important to note that around this time, philosophy was big. And it was growing, and that was one of the practices of philosophy, wasn't it, Mike? Where that was, you know, to not have a a partner to be celibate was like a higher order. And yeah, so, there was some philosophical schools that thought, you know, just like the Apostle Paul, like mm-hmm. it's better to be celibate. But they took it too far. They went, well, no, you're actually like a better person, right. you know, if you're celibate. Right. Paul said, no, I mean, I could just get a lot more done for the kingdom purposes because my interests are divided. You know, yeah, I don't have to take, I don't have the duty of taking care of my family as well as the duty of serving the Lord. Right. And so these these individuals were were really um, taking what God meant for good and actually trying to use it for evil, right? Mm-hmm. Where God takes what people mean for evil and uses it for good, Genesis 50, verse 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get to our text. We're going to cover a, um, a couple of different topics today. And one of the more controversial topics that we're going to cover today, as far as our culture is concerned, is this idea of women being leaders in the church. Yeah. You know, are they able to be pastors? Are they able to be preachers? Um, if yes, why? If no, why? Okay, mm-hmm. if no, then are they able to be leaders in society? Are they able to teach, you know, XYZ things? So we're gonna we're gonna dive into that today. Um, and it's it's the Bible is so explicitly clear that again, going back to what you said mm-hmm. earlier, Chad, the reason why we get these things wrong is not because um, it's hard to understand, it's because of sin. Right. And sin ultimately clouds our judgment. <clears throat> it's like a drug, mm-hmm. you know, that makes you think wrongly when you're under its influence, right? Mm-hmm. And the issue is, is like, if you're not saved, you're always under the influence of sin. Yeah. And if you are saved, man, we have to war against it. And so um, we are going to just lay out the, the biblical description of what's called anthropology, like yeah. how mankind was created and the purposes for man and women on earth, according to God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we hope that this blesses you, but let's get into the text today. We're going to read verses 26 through 40 in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Chad, I'll read up to verse 33, then you can pick up. Here we go. This is what it says. It says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. 
and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's any, anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right, so that last sentence there is really Paul's primary point in this section. Uh, he says it in verse 33, that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, or some translations translate that word peace as in order. Uh, in verse 40, like Chad just read, he explicitly says all things should be done decently and in order. That follows because God is a God of order, right? Mm -hmm. And the church is the expression of his kingdom, his reign and rule. Yeah. Um, and so let's just go back to verse 26 and walk it down, shall we? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... You know, one thing I have to say before we start is that this whole section, these two chapters, they're very hard to break up into little units because it's one just continuous flow of thought. Yeah. You know, so if it feels like we're just jumping in, it's because we're just jumping in. Yeah. So what Paul is doing is he's he's speaking up about the same idea that we discussed in last week's podcast, that really, number one, all spiritual gifts are given not so one can build themselves up, but for the purposes of building others up. And we talked about how the modern claim that speaking in tongues, for example, since that's what Paul's talking about, that that gift is given for the purposes of a private prayer language really just isn't a biblical idea at all. We talked about how when God says when someone's praying in an ecstatic utterance, they speak to God, mm -hmm. he doesn't mean they speak to Yahweh or Jesus. The Greek word is theos. It literally means gods, mm -hmm. lowercase g. Yeah. And we discussed in the last couple of podcasts how this was very common during their day. So this is just a quick review. This was very common because that's how people worshipped pagan gods is they went into these temples like the temple of Aphrodite, which Aphrodite was the goddess of love. They had sex with the temple prostitutes that were there while getting drunk and probably other substances as well. Mm -hmm. And this was all done to, to, to appeal to the God to, to do something. And they would keep doing these quote-unquote worship acts uh, until they reached a state of what, what they called ecstasy. And then what happened was they had this, this related speech that came out of these orgies. And it was like an ecstatic utterance. It was like a bubbling up. And it was not a known language. Mm -hmm. That's the big differentiation is it wasn't an actual language. It was just babble. It was right. just confusion. Much of what we see today in our uh, modern charismatic movements of people getting drunk in the spirit and rolling around and writhing, or um, some women now lay there and say they, they're giving birth in the spirit. There's, um, there's being taught how to speak in tongues, Just and, and it reflects more of of um, Eastern religion thought, yeah. Hinduism and things, where clear your mind and just focus on one word, say it over and over again, and then just start babbling. Um, 
that's not speaking in tongues. On the best side of that, it's just ridiculous gibberish. On the worst side is what you're talking about is maybe you are uh, interacting with the spiritual realm, but not mm-hmm. of God. Right. Um, you ha- we have to be careful because it could be interacting with even demonic presences. Oh, well, without a doubt. I mean, there, no one's questioning if a spiritual realm actually exists or not. Yeah. But what we are, what we do question and what we should question is like, who are we interacting with on the other side? If I, if I can yeah. say it that way, because the, the gift of tongues, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but mm-hmm. the gift of tongues was, is very specific in the, in the, in the Bible, especially in the new Testament where right. it primarily happens. Right. Um, and so that's what Paul's topic is as we pick up in verse 26. And he, and he, now he starts to transition from addressing that in particular to now the order or disorder, I should say, in the Corinthian worship service. And he says this, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But let all things be done for the building up of one another. So these individuals were just like blurting it out, right? Like you'd walk into a room and you'd be like, what? on earth is going on here. That's what he even says in verse 23. He says, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Right. Like going on here? someone who is foreign to a worship service is going to walk into y'all's gathering and see this just bonanza occurring mm. and they're going to freak out. Yeah. As they should. Right. Because who knows what they're what they're actually witnessing there. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the God of the Bible. Right. Who Paul says in verse 33 is a God not of confusion, right. but of peace. He's a God of order. And the reason why he's blessed us with these gifts, brothers and sisters, is what Paul's saying, is not so you guys can make yourselves great and build yourselves up. It's so you can build one another up and then lift up your praise to the great God. Right. That's what he's getting at. And so then what he does is, and I love this. I'll bring this up again. Paul is, again, not trying to um, put water on their charismatic fire necessarily as much as he's trying to educate their incorrect beliefs and then point all of that energy in the right direction. Yeah, he wants their enthusiasm for the Lord. Uh, Absolutely. We should be enthusiastic about our God, but in the way God desires to be worshipped. Amen. I, I'd recommend Strange Fire by John MacArthur to anyone. It's a very uh, good book. Very good book. I'm I'm going through it on Audible right oh, now. Oh, nice, it's nice. Really, it's really fun. But he, he points to Leviticus, uh, the sons of uh, Aaron. Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, where they they worshiped God in a way he did not ask to be worshiped, and they got killed by, right. by fire. It was Strange Fire. Yeah. And that's a warning for us that God is a God of decency and order. God has made it plain of how he desires to be worshiped. Mm-hmm. And we should worship him in the way he's told us that our pride and our sin is what causes all the confusion. Yeah. How does he want to be worshipped? John chapter 4, woman at the well, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus says he's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, truth, right? And we get the spirit part, like we're stoked about that, right? But we're all all kind of unsure about this whole truth thing, right? Yeah. Well, the truth is plain. Mm -hmm. It's plain, right? And so Paul now takes their enthusiasm and begins to give it some order, right? Right. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue. Now remember, that uh, usage there, the singular usage, is refers to the ecstatic utterance, mm-hmm. I think, if I remember correctly from last podcast. Um, and so he says, if anyone's going to speak in a tongue, I'm sorry, I got it backwards. Singular usage is the correct gift. The plural usage is the incorrect gift. Right, right. 
Um, so if anyone does actually speak in a tongue as biblically defined, uh, an actual a, language, an actual language, let there be only two or three at most and each in turn and let someone interpret. Okay. Cause that right. was the other necessary qualifier there. Yeah. If you are going to speak, if, if the spirit of God does quicken your mouth to speak in an actual known language, to declare the gospel, the mighty works of God and salvation, someone must be there to interpret it so that the other necessary qualifier can be met that everyone is built up. Right, and built up in truth. If, in truth. if you're speaking the truth of God's word in a different language, then it would only make sense that that would be interpreted so everyone could hear the word of God and therefore be built up. Right. And Paul does use a bit of sarcasm here in the next verse. Okay, He says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Theos, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is where private prayer language people are going to go, see, it's right, right there, right. right? Okay, again, you have to remember that Paul has carried a sarcastic tone literally from the beginning of chapter 14 because he has to point out the ridiculousness of this practice in the church, yeah. okay? So we know that he's already said uh, way back in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor, okay? Yeah. So he, re he reiterates that principle throughout this entire section. And then when he gets here to the verse I've just read, what he's saying to you is this. Look, if you really are going to keep going with this, just keep silent. Right. And just go ahead and speak to your, your God. Just speak to yourself and speak to God. But he's not contradicting himself. No. Right? He's not, okay, now giving you an okay to go ahead and build yourself yeah, up. He's not saying this is a good practice. He's just saying, listen... Go for it. Go for it. Just keep to yourself. Yeah. It's Paul's way of saying, if you don't have anything good to say, just be quiet. Just, yeah. <laughs> because he, he can't give this practice a pass right now mm -hmm. if he's already previously said multiple times that God doesn't give spiritual gifts so you can build yourself up. Mm -hmm. So we have to like stop here for a second because people take this. I've talked yeah. to people and they this is their verse. Yeah. But, but you have to understand, brother and sister, I'm pleading with you right now because... Paul would be contradicting himself if he was saying this as a, as a way to give you the um, okay to go ahead and do this mm -hmm. practice. He is emphatically not doing that. Right. He he would be contradicting his teaching. Yeah, and it's not it's not loving for you. And, and you always and I'll just say this as a general warning to take one verse out of the entire scriptures and build a whole theology off of it is always dangerous. Mm -hmm. Scripture interprets scripture. You. You get the more robust and plain meaning of all Scripture because Scripture does not contradict itself. So okay. you have to look at the whole context, and then you'll get the true meaning. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mike's saying. If you look at the whole letter of First Corinthians, you'll very clearly come to the point to see that Paul's not condoning this. He's just saying, listen, for those of you that aren't going to listen to me, at least just be quiet. Yeah. That's, that's really what he's saying. Right. Because you're going to create chaos, and exactly. God is not a God of chaos, right? Exactly. Look, we have to understand this, and it's the last thing I'll say. If the counterfeit gift cannot be judged as legitimate, neither can a quote-unquote private prayer language. Exactly. Because it, it does not legitimately meet the qualifiers of the scriptural gift of tongues. Mm -hmm. End of story. Yeah. Period. Let's move on. Right. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, 
let the first be silent. So even he's talking to the, to the prophets now. Mm-hmm. Like, look, you got to keep quiet while this individual speaks, right? So he's not just harping on the people in tongues, right? Like, you guys got to be quiet while all these guys get to do whatever they want. Mm-mm. No, he is, he is projecting this orderly God and this orderly God's desire for order within his church. And he says, if a revelation has been made to another sitting there, let the first one be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And I love how he puts this in there. This is like a self-checking mechanism. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's take some time to kind of unpack what Paul might mean here. Who are the prophets? The prophetic ministry started way back, all the way back in 1 Samuel. We see the prophetic ministry begin. Now, Samuel's not the first prophet. Moses, technically, uh, would be one of the first prophets, but even all the way back as far as Abraham and even all the way back down in in Adam's time, there are prophetic utterances in the uh, foretelling the mind of God sense, right? Right. But, But by and large, when you think of prophets, we got to think about the ministry of the prophets that, that mm-hmm. really where God was, was concentrating this, this foretelling of his own mind through these individuals that we call the prophets, right? Yeah. So what was their message, Chad? In a nutshell, it was repent right. because judgment is on its way. Exactly. Repent and believe the Lord, right? right? And in this weighing what is said, what are they weighing it with? Right. That's it's not they're not weighing it against their own understanding. They're not weighing it on how they feel. Mm-hmm. What are they weighing it with? They're weighing it against God's word that they already have. That's right. Because prophecy does not contradict itself. God's word never contradicts itself. So you could discern and test if what was being said was true mm-hmm. based upon the the word of God that had already been given. Yeah. Right. And Paul goes on to say later, we'll get there, but Paul was an apostle, right? He had the the apostle gift, and his word was scripture. The Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul. So he even says later, if you're disagreeing, if you're if you're a prophet, then you'll know that what I'm telling you is right. Right. Yes, he does say that <laughs> later on. You know. But let's take this down into like a counseling context, mm-hmm. right? Because we we do hear like in our common vernacular today. Well, like God said to me, or mm-hmm. God said this to me, or God put this on my heart, et cetera, et cetera. And um, some of some people mean that quite literally, and other people is just kind of it's just part of our language that we use. Yeah. And it's it's kind of unfortunate, but yeah. I have to raise my hand. I do the same thing from time to time. Um, and so, in a counseling setting, mm-hmm. when you hear someone saying, "Well, God said to me," "Well, God said to me," "Well, God said to me," you know, what is the gentle, mm-hmm. humble, but firm way to counsel someone through that? Yeah. Well, very simply, I do the same thing Paul's saying here. I say, okay, well, let's talk about what you're saying God is saying and does it align with what his word already says? Mm -hmm. Because we don't live in a time period right now in redemptive history to where we get new prophecies from God. Mm -hmm. We have the word of God fully. Mm -hmm. So if God is prompting your heart, convicting you about something, right, was that from his word? Mm -hmm. Is this in obedience to the word of God Um, because we have to be very careful that we don't take our feelings as God saying something Mm -hmm. right which is a lot of times what's being said well I feel like I mean I've had it I just don't I feel like the Lord's saying like I shouldn't be with my wife anymore Mm -hmm. okay well I already know God didn't tell you that why yeah because God is very clear about marriage right right (laughs) right 
So what you're feeling or what you think God's telling you, it's either your own mind, your own feelings, or it's a different God than the God of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? We weigh it against the Word of God. We don't. Mm-hmm. And prophecy now, uh, the type of prophecy that we see um, given out now, if someone has the gift of prophecy, is the ability to teach and proclaim the Word of God to to really. Um, it's what an elder uh, qualification to be able to teach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So preaching is a, f- a form of prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, it's because we are proclaiming and exhorting and um, uh, ex- exegeting and expositing and explaining the scriptures. That was a lot of E words right yeah. there. Very <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and so all that means is we're we're understanding the true meaning of the text and mm-hmm. we're proclaiming it to the people for admonishment, for encouragement, yeah. for correction, for all those things. And so, you know, when people sometimes, uh, you know, shouldn't use sarcasm always, but sometimes sarcastically say, well, so you're saying you just read the scriptures? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I got God yeah. told me what verse <laughs> did he tell you that? Yeah. And I'm just, I, sometimes I use that just to bring their attention to, unless you can plainly see this in Scripture, mm. then you should not think that God told you something. Right. Yeah, and it's actually, I just want to make one more comment on this, just because I'm studying the Old Testament for my schooling right yeah. now. Um, and it just so happens that we're in the prophets. Um, yeah. It's interesting for me to think about um, the, the interaction that God has actually had with his people in the Old Testament. Because the way that he spoke to them, it was always an external voice. Yeah. Right. It wasn't like this voice, this inner voice. Right. That that like people didn't hear God speaking in their mind. Yeah. Um, usually. Yeah. Right. And and there's there why I say usually is because it's hard to tell sometimes. Mm-hmm. But for for the most part, when someone heard the voice of God, like. First of all, it scared the the daylights out of them most of the time. Like there's many there's many portions of the Old Testament yeah. where people are laying prostrate before the God once they realize who it is speaking, or they heard an external voice speaking to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they had dreams, they had visions, like these more outer body sort of experiences, but those were very rare as well. Right. You know, there were actually a few times. Like I'm thinking of Abraham now, where Yahweh like literally came in the form of a human being and mm-hmm. like sat with them and ate, which yeah. is, this is Genesis 18 that's in my mind now, which is, that's just kind of staggering to think about for one minute. Yeah, yeah. Like, why is God eating? But he did. And um, so why am I bringing all that up? It's because by and large today, people misinterpret their own voice speaking to themselves. Yeah. This inner monologue that we have as like the voice of God. Yeah. And that's, it's very unlikely yeah. that that actually is the voice of the holy God. Right. Yeah. Now, does God um, move us and prompt our hearts and convict us? Of course he does. Mm -hmm. But all of it should be done. uh, Understanding what the Lord may be moving your heart to do has to be done through a biblical lens. Mm -hmm. Right. So we teach biblical decision making. Right. Because, you know, a lot of this, I think, comes out of just good places. It sure does. People wanting to just do what God has for them. And, And a lot of times... It's and sometimes it's like wanting to find this uh, special calling, right, of your life, mm-hmm. wanting purpose, right, and that's from a good place, but sometimes confused. Biblical decision making, but in short, what we help people see is first, okay, we have to 
make the decisions with underneath the um, the order or the through the lens of what Scripture already teaches us. So the first question that I ask myself in making a decision is, first, does it glorify and honor God? Which gives me a bunch of sub-questions with it, right? Because that's the first greatest commandment from Christ. <laughs> Love mm-hmm. the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and strength, right? So... And we're created to glorify God. So my first question should be, if this thing that I'm feeling that the Lord may be prompting me to do, does it honor and glorify God? And how do I discern that? Well, does it go against the commands of Scripture? Um, two, does it represent the calling that God has already had on all believers to to make disciples, share the gospel, you know, all those kind of things? Um, number two, does it go against the principles of Scripture, Right. I have to ask those questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the second question I'll ask myself and make a decision, does this love and serve others in the gospel, which is a second grace commandment. Mm-hmm. So why do I want to do this? Am I doing this for myself? Am I doing like do I have the right motivations? Mm-hmm. And those things help you through prayer and through seeking the Lord and even I uh, getting wise counsel if if you go through if it goes through those filters, all right, I, I've got like two decisions still to make, then that's where the Bible tells us, you know, he's given us shepherds, he's given us elders, he's given us the body. Mm-hmm. So people who love the Lord, taking it to him, like, what do you think? Like mm-hmm. getting some wise counsel, praying through it. And there's always a step of faith. And what many of um, those we look up to, like a MacArthur or R.C. Sproul, those guys, you know, would say then at that point, do what you want. Mm-hmm. If it's made it through all those lenses, right, and you've went through all those processes to make this decision, and you've got two good decisions. Which one do you want to do most? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And you take that step of faith in doing that. But it's not this this charismatic view of every time you get a whim and a prompting on your heart that God's telling you to do something. That, that may be just you saying it. Mm-hmm. That may be you wanting to do something and you're trying to justify doing it. There's a lot There's of There's a whole gamut there. of reasons. And there. you have to be careful to weigh it against the scriptures. Yeah, absolutely. It's very I, important. I'm looking at Jesus' own words about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he says in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Right, and of course, he's speaking directly to mm-hmm. his inner circle there, his, his twelve disciples. But, but the the reality is, is that first of all, the Spirit of God is going to bring to our remembrance the words of Christ Himself. That's right. Later on in verse, um, in chapter sixteen, rather, um, in verses uh, one all the way through verse uh, fourteen mm-hmm. and fifteen, actually, there's a whole there's a whole section on the, what the Spirit of God uh, and His ministry are. And so here's just one one primary thing here. It says, number one, that he will convict the world concerning sin, mm-hmm. concerning righteousness and judgment, right? So like there's three elements mm-hmm. that we know for certain are going to be of the Spirit of God, yeah. right? He convicts us of sin, mm-hmm. right? Um, he convicts us of righteousness, which is to say that um, we don't have to guess about what is right in God's eyes. We don't have to guess about all right, well, is this, like you, going back to your example, mm-hmm. out of these two options here, which one's righteous, right? The Spirit's going to, you're going to feel that same sort of conviction right. about that's righteous, right? Right. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, which he goes on to say uh, later on in that section. But I think this is just the easiest way to sum up everything you were saying, Chad, about the Spirit of God. He will guide you into all truth, it says in verse 13, mm-hmm. for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears 
he will speak Mm -hmm. and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. Yeah. So the question that we got to end this section on the spirit of with is if you do have a prompting that you, that you, you know, sense as a prompting of the spirit of God, does it glorify Jesus Christ? Yeah. Does, does rolling on the ground saying you're drunk (laughs) in the spirit, does that glorify Jesus Christ? Right. I'm using that example as an extreme example, but it actually happens. Right. Does, does singing to God weeping, whether or not there's a rock show going on or it's just acapella, does that glorify Christ? Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. that does. You're weeping out of the out of the sense of your absolute spiritual bankruptcy before a holy and righteous yeah. God. And be really careful when you hear speakers say, you know, the Lord told me. And they go on about a story or an experiential story and they're not teaching you the, the word of God. And be very like that's usually wrong and not right. Um, I'll, I'll give one extreme example. Jesse Duplantis. He's a big, charismatic preacher here in the New Orleans area. You know, I use him because some of our listeners may know who I'm talking about. But there's many times when he he will sit up and talk about these conversations that he has with God. And even God's asking him what he thinks, and he's telling God what God should do and things of that nature. It's just baffling. But so many are are led astray by this dude. He's a false teacher. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a charlatan. Do not listen to this guy. Mm-hmm. But even when you have other people come to you and say, I feel like the Lord has told me something about you, be very careful yeah. with that. Because one, do they know you that well? Um, and then my last qualifier for all this, just to, to help, because a lot of people struggle with these things, is the Lord does not call you to go do something that you're not already doing. And what I mean by that is people will come to me and say, I feel called to be a pastor. I feel called to start a ministry. But they're not faithful in their church. They're not serving. They're not sharing their faith. They're not reading their Bible regularly. They're not praying regularly. What would make you think that the Lord would want you to go somewhere else and be disobedient too? That doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Now, maybe he, maybe you feel a desire to do something in your heart, but maybe the first step is I need to learn to be a faithful Christian first mm-hmm. and prepare to go do that thing. Maybe that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So not saying that it's not necessarily the Lord. Prompting. You're saying just examine yourself and where you're at. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you see it all the time. Like, oh, God called me. I just went over here and it's like you had no maturity. You didn't. Mm-hmm. You weren't doing anything. And then you hear story after story of like people getting burnt out and failing or yeah. or or they fall, like they have a sin issue. That, Like the Lord's not, not trying to set you up for failure. That's not how that works. Right. The spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. That's where we ended this. And yeah. it was a deep dive, but effectively, I just want to sum it up, that yeah. the spirit of prophet are subject to the prophets because the prophets prophesied the true words of the holy God. Mm-hmm. And if anyone stands up claiming to be a prophet, having a word of God, a word from God, Go ahead, they can make that claim, but the Bible's clear. We have to remember to measure that revelation, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. against the written word of God. That's right. And so we'll move on now. And the reason why is this is why, this is what Paul says in verse 33, to wrap up this section on spiritual gifts. For God is not a God of confusion, yeah, but of peace. That's right. Okay? All right, so then he says this. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So we'll stop there and let's let's set this conversation up. <laughs> because 
Controversial. I have to admit that that is going to upset a lot of people because of where we are in our culture and day and time. Yeah. What do you mean they can't speak in the church? Well, we'll qualify that. Well, what does this mean? Like, I don't understand. The vice president's a, f- a female. Yes, she is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so this this conversation has to be made within the context of the doctrine of anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it's not, there are going to be all sorts of arbitrary, unbiblical qualifiers that people start to put on these kinds of things. Exactly. So what is the doctrine of anthropology? Well, it's the doctrine of the creation of mankind, right? Mm-hmm. What role does man, the male, yeah. have in God's mind? And what role does the female have in God's mind, mm-hmm. both in service to God himself and in love towards one another, and then in their duty and service to mankind, right? That's Humankind. Right. That's right. So we have to answer those three questions because Paul said at the end of that verse that the law also says what he just said. Mm-hmm. So he's making a reference to the Old Testament scriptures, okay? Right. Now, this is not a cultural thing. Number one, yes, the Old Testament, the Israelite culture of the Old Testament was a patriarchal society, meaning that society was structured based on the oldest male family head. Mm-hmm. And from there, you had tribes and clans, okay, underneath family lineage. And this is how society was structured because, again, God is a God of order. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve were created, and if we can understand God's ordained roles for Adam and God's ordained role for Eve, then we can understand how the Israelite structure was structured and why it was structured this way. Mm-hmm. So, Chad, why don't you take us back to the Garden of Eden? <clears throat> yeah, let's go back to Genesis 1 and creation, and then Genesis 2 gives us a magnifying glass upon the creation of male and female. But in Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it starts with, In the image of God, he created him. And then, male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. Right? And he blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant. He goes on to talk about um, their food their food, and everything else. So, <clears throat> first of all, man was created in the image of God. And that's a, it's a plurality there when it says, Let us make man in our image. Because what do we know about God? Triune God. He's a triune God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God, different in role and responsibility. Well, in the same way, he created male and female. Mm -hmm. And he created Adam first. And Adam had particular roles and responsibilities. So when you get to Genesis 2, when you see him create Adam, he he creates Adam to be his vice regent. um, his Co-ruler. His ruler. Um... He was, uh, another way to look at him as priest-king, right? He was to rule um, the garden, and he was to keep the commandment. God gave him one commandment. Before he ever created Eve, he set all of this up, right? Um, you can go to second, uh, Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And God 
planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? And so uh, it goes on to talk about the river, and it flows, and it gives more about Eden there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. This is verse 15, by the way. To work it and keep it. So there's the... He's to steward it. He's to be kind of the king, have dominion over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So there's the prophecy, if you will, to Adam and the word of God. That was that was his Bible. Had one commandment. Mm-hmm. Do not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, the garden of uh, knowledge of good and evil. So, so, so far, let me just recap it. So far, mm-hmm. God has created a human being. Uh, he's also created the animal kingdom. But there's only one human being. Yeah. He's ordained this human being to be a ruler over his creation, thus representing God mm-hmm. and spreading his image throughout the earth. He's right. been given that promise that he's going to be fruitful and multiply. Um, well, actually, those aren't cr- chrono- chrono- uh, chronological, but... Right. I'll I'll backtrack that that statement, <laughs> but basically he's got a job to do at he's this point to work and keep the garden, and then he says something very interesting as after he's gotten done naming all these animals. Well, what does he before say? Before you get there, verse eighteen, I think this is a very important point in anthropology. Then mm-hmm. the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. Mm. I will make a helper fit for him." Now, a lot of times we misread this as just well, Adam was lonely. So it's good for him to have a companion. That is not what God's saying. Remember, mm-hmm. God made let us make man in our image. Well, who is God? The triune God. Adam being singular would not have been in the image of God, right? Because he's he's not God is a communal God. He's a community within himself. Therefore, it was not good that man should be alone. He needed a helper that was fit for him. And then you see God parade all the animals before mm-hmm. Adam, and Adam names them all, but there was not a helper found that was fit for him. And then he puts Adam to sleep, and he does the first surgery, and he takes his rib, which that original Hebrew word there could be translated just flesh. Doesn't mm-hmm. you know? We get all hung up on how many ribs we got. <laughs> you know, yeah, it could have just been flesh. And then he makes Eve, and that's when Adam wakes up and said, "At last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh." She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Eve was created to complete the image of mankind, but to be the helper that was fit for Adam. Adam's job was to be ruler and priest, and Eve's job was to be that helper that helped Adam in accomplishing that commandment right she was there to be his his right hand his confidant his you know and to fulfill the being fruitful and multiply part she's there to compliment him yeah to compliment him and procreate all those things and it was good there was no sin at this point right but then there was the curse then there was the curse (laughs) and basically just to to kind of speed things up here Mm because we're going to be on this podcast for seven hours (laughs) if we don't (laughs) we had to qualify all that to get to here i know it's it's a lot of work it really is but 
the 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 purpose for for woman up to this point is to compliment her husband, mm-hmm. right? Um, and vice versa, right? Okay, and then the the sin enters into the picture, and and the issue that I think Paul really is trying to emphasize in our text today mm-hmm. is what happened post fall right. to the heart of the woman, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I God says, "I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children." Okay, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, right? But this does. Yeah. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Mm-hmm. Now, that desire word is not sexual desire. It's a desire to take his role. Mm-hmm. It's a desire to lead the husband. How do we know that? Because you go to chapter 4, and you look at, uh, and where is it, with Cain and Abel, verse 6 yeah. and 7. He's talking about the Lord, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire. It's the same word. Mm-hmm. It's desire is for you, but you must rule mm-hmm. over it. Right. So the desire is that sin would rule over mankind, but mankind must rule over sin. Yeah. Same word. So the desire for the female is that she would rule over her husband, but the husband will rule over the female. Yeah. Right? And sin... And just to think of it in all these terms, the the purpose of sin is to destroy everything God created. And so here, the two are to be one flesh, perfectly complementing one another, glorifying God. And the curse is a constant tearing away of that fleshly union. Mm. The man will either uh, sinfully dominate, which we see in chauvinism yes. and things of that nature, which is not right. Not right. Or he'll abdicate his rule and be... I like to call them um, overgrown children, you mm-hmm. know, that look for a mom instead of a wife, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You see those two extremes on the male side, uh, and then in, for the female, you'll see a constant desire to be the male. Mm-hmm. You, you think about feminism, it's not glorifying the role of female. What is it? It's wanting to be a man. That's right. It's, it's what it is. And so that came from Genesis 3.16, so we should be aware of that. Yeah. And so <clears throat> one thing that I'll say is, when when women are are rejecting that you're rejecting god and you're actually lessening your dignity in the way god has designed you mm-hmm. right when men lead in the way that god has designed them to in in submission to god's authority in humility and strength and love their wives as christ loved the church right and you just look at christ's life and how christ is loved even to the point of death sacrificially that's how the male is supposed to lead and the woman then submits in everything to her husband in trusting and in loving and in helping then it it reflects the glory of god in the way god's originally designed it and that can be restored through the gospel through jesus christ Mm -hmm. that is how this genesis one and two are restored by the gospel Mm -hmm. and and when paul's writing ephesians in Ephesians 5, the chapter 1 is all about the gospel and our identity in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which complements that. And so that's what Paul, I say all that to get us here, is we know the women here are not are not living in their way, but they are trying to do things in a way that is rejecting their God-given role and right. the way God's designed them. And the men also, as we've already been talking about, they're doing silly things too and not leading well. Right, we we've lost God's established order in the church, and so Paul has to try to put it back together. Mm-hmm. And 
what we can take away from this as an implication is is that there were women who were uh, maybe having these ecstatic utterances since mm-hmm. this is sat in the context of tongues, right? right? And they were speaking up and they were blurting out. Maybe there's others who thought that they were getting revelation from God and were speaking out and trying to teach the right. congregation. This is not saying a woman can't say a word inside the church mm-hmm. gathering. Right. The context dictates that um, that that women, as far as the the church gathering is concerned, are not to stand up and be the leaders and the teachers of the church by and large. Yeah. Now there are, let's go to some other places in scripture. Let's go to Titus chapter one. And Women to, to can your, teach in the right. church. To your point though, Mike, just to throw this in there, this is in the context of a worship service in a church. That's right. Right? So yeah, we're going to get to that. I want to verify that as well. Yeah, so we're talking about the, the worship service, right? Yes. And as I said, women can teach in the church, but there's qualifiers on it. Mm-hmm. I go to Titus chapter 1. <clears throat> it says this in verse 3, Older women likewise. Chapter 2. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 2. <laughs> Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands Mm -hmm. and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, we'll talk about that in one second, kind and submissive to their own husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. Mm -hmm. So Paul, when he says that phrase right there, is saying exactly what you've just said, that God has an ordained... uh, way that women are to be in his church and in society at large, just as he has an ordained way for men to be. Mm -hmm. And we both, male and female, fail at fulfilling those God-ordained roles, but the roles are there, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as working at home is concerned, okay, Mm -hmm. what does this mean, right? Well, if we go to Proverbs 31, there's a woman who is a straight entrepreneur, (laughs) right? Straight up, running in a state. I would recommend you go, we're not going to do it now for time's sake, but go read Proverbs 31. Like this doesn't mean that women can't have jobs, right? Right. They can and they should, but as the uh, seasons of life ebb and flow, there may be seasons where if you can, right, Mm -hmm. if you're not like a single mother or something, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you raise your babies, right? Right. What a beautiful opportunity, And maybe you do some things on the side to help out, but what... The best way to understand it is home attentive. Her first priority, her first area of ministry is in the home to her husband and to her children. Mm-hmm. And what Mike's saying here is there's different seasons where when the children are real little, that may dictate that the best way that she can do that is just to be home um, raising them. Yeah. As they get older, as the children go out of the house, maybe she works a full-time job at that point. You know, that's maybe that's what is best for the family or maybe... Right. Or before having kids, maybe you have a career that then you take a break from. There's doesn't mean that you can't work outside the home. It just means that the home is your first priority, home yeah. attentiveness. And anything that would take you away from that <clears throat> would not be good, that that should be in proper order. Yeah. But let's stay on the context of being within the church because mm-hmm. we've done a lot of podcasts where we've talked about this. Yeah. But but we do need to bring kind of the whole scriptural context into play here to understand like what is undergirding Paul's statement here right yeah. he's not a woman hater right no, he loves women i mean he he loves all of god's creation right and so this has been so misconstrued so often that i think it's necessary that we do bring in the whole context but as uh he says this as in all the churches of the saints so this is not just a corinthian thing mm-hmm. okay this is blanket uh every policy church. here right? every church <laughs> 
this is how it is to, to, to be. And I love how he appeals back to the Old Testament, right? But in verse 35, then he says this, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Husbands, did you hear that? Yeah. You better know the word of God, right? right. You better be leading in the way that mm-hmm. God has ordained for you. Right. It, we can't abdicate our leadership role, right? Mm-hmm. Just because we may actually have a, a, a wife who like is very, uh, she's she's much of a natural leader, right? Like, yeah. I mean, Chad, your wife's very like this, oh, right? My, my wife could run a She could country. run a small country, dude. <laughs> and that's awesome. But yeah. she's also like so graceful in the way that she like submits to your leadership in the mm-hmm. home. And there are, we're not, this is also another thing that I have to say in, in response to what we, we've just read. Like sometimes the wife actually might be more of an intellectual than the husband. Yeah. She might actually understand the Bible she a little bit be better. Smarter. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that that is true. Mm. Nonetheless, wives and husbands, we cannot abdicate our roles, right? Right. And both make us dependent upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. For a husband, like you may not be the biggest intellectual or whatever, but you can study the word of God and you can teach the word of God, which means you have to be uh, dependent upon the Lord and be um, disciplined to learn, to grow. Um, And it doesn't mean the wife can't also read her own Bible and learn, but she should want and enjoy that her husband would lead because the bigger issue is the eternal view is one day we'll all stand before the Lord in judgment. Mm-hmm. And as a husband, and I tell this when I do premarital, like understand what you're signing up for. You will give an account before God of mm-hmm. how you led your family. So don't get in this pragmatic view of like, well, she's just better and I'm just not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You are held accountable to love your wife as Christ of the church and lead her in the word. So you better get about it is yeah. all I can tell you. I mean, it's serious. We have to understand that we yeah. are all going to be judged for what right. we've done here on earth. And the same thing for wives. You're going to be judged by how you submitted to mm-hmm. your husband. Like you should take that very seriously. And that's what the elders are there and the church is there to, you know, to help grow your husbands, to help mm-hmm. any husband. And I challenge all of our guys in my Bible study and stuff and my elder shepherding group to lead their wives and start Bible studies. And I say, listen, just take, I've been teaching you, take what we've been teaching and go teach it. Like, I'll help you, Yeah. but do it. Like, don't sit around on your thumbs because, you know, yeah. like, you're held accountable and responsible and we'll disciple you in that. Yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, when people go to the gym for the first time in 20 years, right? Yeah. Like, if yeah. there's a compounding effect. You get better at it as you continue sure. to do it. So, like, just to speak again to that husband who may feel like he's just not as a good teacher as his wife is or whatever. Sure. Like, look, God's not asking you to be a PhD. He's asking you to explain Jesus, right? Right. Like, open up, let's just open up the word and let's read a chapter together every night. And let's or, talk about it. Yeah, let's just talk about it, right? Yeah. And, 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 and trust the spirit of God to really work out mm-hmm. that situation. He, he will do it. He is faithful. Mm-hmm. Right? He is faithful to accomplish his own word. Absolutely. And his own word has necessitated that husbands lead their mm-hmm. homes and particularly in this context, they also lead the church, right? Yeah. There's an absolute place for women in the church in leadership type roles, like especially when it has to, has to do with women's ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Or teaching younger children, right? Absolutely. Like that's absolutely the thing. But and by the way, there's a role with your husband. You're the helper. Like, it, I love it when my wife, when we're talking through something, or I'm trying to make a decision, and she comes to me and says, "Well, here's what I see." She's not. She's not taking authority over me and making the decision. She's just mm. saying, here's what I see. And a good leader says, oh, you listen and you take in consideration. 
I, I'm still the one that makes the final decision and she's going to submit to my final decision, but she's my helper, mm-hmm. right? There, you have a great role as a wife mm-hmm. to pray for your husband, to give to give counsel, to talk through, you know, like a role this. that the husband needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Needs. And any good leader doesn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Heck no. He just yeah. has to make the final, de- make the right decision. The buck stops, has to stop with somebody, right? Exactly. And so the buck stops with men as far as God's concerned. Mm-hmm. And so just to kind of recap all that, because we're going to finish this section off here in just one second, but there are God-ordained roles for males and for females. That's right. And what Paul is saying here is not that women cannot say a single word when they come together. We should. We should practice the one another's, right? We should Absolutely. care for one another, Absolutely. We should, et cetera. But what he is saying is this, in the context of this section, he is saying that women are not to prophesy in the church as far as the the, the primary gatherings concerned, right? Prophecy mean, meaning teaching the word of God. Uh, that is not what um, the ordained role for women is. The ordained role for women on a teaching level is to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's essentially it. Um, and, and we're going to do that through evangelism. We're going to do that through sharing the gospel with, with, uh, our children. We're going to do that through teaching them what the, what the new Testament and the old Testament teach all of the normal things, but there is an order in the church. Mm-hmm. And this order is what Paul, the apostle is referring to. And in verses 36 through 40, mm-hmm. Paul gets very pointed here mm-hmm. because he knows that there are going to be people, women and men in the church who are going to kick back against this very hard. Yeah. And here's what he says to them. Or was it f- from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it, the word of God has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet, or if anyone thinks that he is spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I'm an apostle, remember? Yeah, these are a command from the Lord. So this is not a secondary debate, no. right? This isn't a second level issue. Right. This is coming from the word of God itself. Yeah. Not only is Paul an apostle, but he's already appealed to the Old Testament teaching, right? This mm-hmm. is the word of God. So verse 38 says this, if anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. Wow, strong statement. In other words, if you do not understand that we are to submit to the word of God in all things, mm-hmm. and you want to buck this particular thing, you will not be recognized in the church as part of the church. Yeah, That's what he's saying. That's the severity. Mm-hmm. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Yeah. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, that is the known languages, but all things should be done decently and in mm-hmm. order. Yeah. And everything we've talked about today, just to sum that up, the roles, the responsibilities of male and female, all these things, as you began this podcast, Mike, everything comes back to pride. Mm-hmm. If the Lord has ordained it, it is good. Whether you are agree with it, whether your flesh bucks up against it, none of that really matters. What really matters is, is he Lord or not? Mm-hmm. That's what Paul's saying. If you buck anything I'm telling you, it may have more to do with your salvation than it does with your agreeance of, upon what I'm saying. Strong words, right? If yeah. anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. That's right. Very strong words, but it makes perfect sense when you take it in light of what he just said before that. Mm-hmm. This is the word of God. This is a command of the Lord. Right. Right. So all things must be done decently and in order according to the word of God. That's right. Well, we hope that this podcast has helped you sort of clear up some issues. Again, there are a lot of situations mm-hmm. where you may have single moms, right? 
There are a lot of situations where the word of God must be applied with diligence and accuracy and wisdom. But as far as the policy of the church is concerned, it's very clear. Yeah. Right? So we hope this has helped you. And we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.